Morning, Porch Community. How are you doing? Happy Father's Day, everybody. Fathers? You seem so excited about it. I don't know. This 1030 time is kind of messing everybody up. Good morning. How are you? Welcome, Porch Community. Glad you're here. If you're, uh, if you're here with us for the first time, I want to say a special welcome to you. So glad you're with us this morning on this Father's Day. Um, fathers, we love you. We honor you. We're thankful for the calling God has on your life. Yes, there is a calling on men uh, to, uh, to do what God has called us to do, to lead the home, to lead folks, and, and to share the gospel um, in the way that God has called them to do that. So we, we love you. We're so thankful for you, all our fathers who are here with us or watching. Um, so we're in this series called Something in the Water. I, I love the Jaws motif going on there, right? Anybody, any Jaws fans in here? Yeah, that's right. There's, there are several of them, but my, my, my opinion is nothing beats the original, right? The first one, right? Amen? Amen to that? Going to get an amen? Um, see, something in the water. See, all throughout Scripture, what, we're, what we see is we're looking at different passages that involve water, of course. And, and, but what we see is that God uses water to reveal himself and to communicate his attributes, using this most essential of life's needs, right? Uh, Shannon said last week, water is mentioned a total of 722 times in the Bible, more than words like faith, hope, prayer, and worship. Water is mentioned more than all of those. When you open the Bible, it doesn't take long for, for you to see that uh, where water is mentioned in the, um, the first few pages of the Bible, Genesis 1, the earth was formless, and uh, a formless void, and, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while the wind, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Water is such an essential component of life, and it was created on the very first day. That's how important it is. So it's, it's possible for humans to go almost a month without food, but not even a week without water. Obviously, water is essential to life, and Jesus used this to speak to humans in terms that we could understand. In fact, all throughout the Bible, God uses this essential to communicate uh, his love for humankind. And so today we're going to look at one of the most, to me, one of the most moving encounters that Jesus had on, on earth while he was here. And it comes, we see the text in John chapter 4. I want you to turn there with me if you have a Bible. Um, by the way, good habit to get back into, you know, we, to bring your Bible to church. Right. Bible app's cool and all when you need it. Bring a Bible. Bring something to write on, too. If you want to write in the margins, if the margins are small like mine, bring something to write on. Man, this is, this is the word of life, right? We need to, we need to be, uh, have reverence for the word of God here. So uh, John chapter 4, so Jesus' encounter with this woman, uh, this Samaritan woman at this particular well. And mo most of you know this story really, really well. Um, so as we dive in, let's pray real quick, and let's ask God to, to bless our time together. Father, uh, do what you, only you can do. God, speak to us. May our hearts be softened, God, to the truth of your word. God, may it change us. May it move us from the place that we're at to the place that uh, you desire us to be. Father, bring us one step closer to you. May the word move in power. May your Holy Spirit have free Free reign in this place to change hearts and minds. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so um, 
I want to start in this, in this text in, in John chapter 4, and I want to start at the very beginning in verse 1, and here's what it says. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Get back to that in a minute. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Joseph Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried, tired, tried, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. Now, Jesus takes a detour through Samaria, and if we know you Bible scholars out there, we know that Jews and Samaritans did not like one another, right? The, little, the background on, on this is that Samaritans and Jews uh, had, had something in common. They had a common ancestry and common background, but they did not like each other. See, Samaritans in Jews' eyes were sort of half-Jew, former Jew, like they, they had a common ancestry, but at some point uh, when the northern kingdom was invaded by Syria, um, many uh, Jews at the time assimilated into that society and married into the Assyrian culture, and you get Samar- Samaritans, right? Uh, you get the, the land of Samaria. But they uh, trace a common ancestry back, and, she's, and of course she says this uh, later on, but Jacob's well, and, and they... They uh, both acknowledge Jacob as a forefather of their faith. But Jesus takes a detour. Now, Jews, strict Jews would not go through Samaria, right? You probably heard, you may have heard this before. But if he was going to Galilee, he was going to take the long route to avoid Samaritans, right? But he didn't. But he didn't. And there was a divine appointment waiting at that well that particular day. It just shows you how out of the way, I mean, Jesus, weary from, from the day and, and the journey, still found time to pursue one person. One person. That's powerful to me. I don't know about you, but it speaks to me. So in, in ways, he took a divine detour. Verse 8, he says, he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Remember, Jesus told her, he said, please give me a drink. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, she says, verse 11, you don't have a rope or bucket. This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? See, she's still not getting it. Verse 13, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon be, become thirsty. Again, talking about the, the well water here. But those who drink the water that I give will never thirst again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, 
Give me this water that I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come get water from this well. Still not getting it. Let me stop right there. Hang on to the phrase, if you only knew. When Jesus says in verse 10, if you only knew, if you only knew. I want to hang on to that for a second. It's super important. See, Jesus is having this conversation with her about water, and he's He's obviously taking the detour, the divine detour to get to this woman. And all of a sudden, he turns the conversation. He's speaking about, he's trying to reveal himself in the simplest of terms. And she's not picking up what he's putting down, right? She's not. She's still fixed on the physical need of water. She's still focused on that well, that bucket, the physical thirst that we all have, right? Constantly day in and day out, and here she is. Then Jesus turns the conversation. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Boom, roasted, like, Is that what Jesus is doing here, though? Like, we kind of just read that and go, man, Jesus just dropped the bomb on this lady. Poor lady. But it wasn't sarcasm. I think we read it that way. I think we're going to get into this in a second, but I I think we missed the point because we we read it as in, oh, yeah, Jesus is about to tell this woman what she did wrong, and she needs to feel bad about it, and she needs to come running to him. But that's not the case. There's a time and place for conviction to do its thing. Conviction over sin is something that we all have to wrestle with daily. Repentance is something we should do on the daily, if you're like me, on the hourly, right? That's not really what's going on here. I think we misread this sometimes, this passage, and we go, Jesus just roasted this woman. He didn't. He didn't. We're going to get to what he's actually getting to in a second. She wasn't... She still wasn't getting what Jesus was doing. And here he starts talking about, they start having a conversation about worship and how we worship. Verse 21 says this. Actually, verse 19, the woman says, Sir, you must be a prophet. Right? You just told me a bunch about my life. How could you have known this? So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim that here... uh, at, the, at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. Like, you're saying Jerusalem is the place. We're saying Gerizim is the place. We, all of a sudden, it becomes about politics. All of, a, all of a sudden, it becomes about a political or a, or a church, churchy-type stance on things. The, the, the conversation, she tries to steer the conversation away from living water, from who Jesus is trying to reveal himself to be, and she starts talking about religious preferences. Right? That's what we do, right? Yeah. Political preferences. Y'all, the gospel of Jesus outweighs in importance infinitely what we think politically, what we think societally. We, we, look, the gospel of Jesus 
is it should be more important and more more um, more meaningful, of course, but it should carry more weight. It should be urgent in your life, in my life. And yet I get caught up on the peripheral of what I see and what, I, you know, what, what bothers me societally when the answer is the gospel. The answer, the solution to, what, to how we differ is in the gospel itself, right? There's the solution. And you may say, well, that's a simplistic answer, there's more, of course there's more to it than that. But we start with the gospel. If we don't start from there, we don't have a starting place. You don't. You don't have a starting place if we're not drawing from the well the water of life. We're not. We're just lumped in with everyone else. You have to be careful of that. So she's still not getting it. We, she starts talking about this mountain or that mountain of worship. He's like, you know, you're trying to, you know, I see your prophet, but, you know, why do you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship? We, we think Mount Gerizim is the place. And Jesus replies, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Verse 22, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. And still, we still misread this because Jesus is not roasting this woman. He's not trying to condemn or make her feel bad. He's not even playing the exclusivity game. We are the Jews and you are not, so you need to get with the program. He's not even doing that. We read it that way, but that's really not what he's trying to get at. But the time is coming, verse 23, and indeed now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So a few points of context here. Jesus is taking a detour through Samaria. We talked about that. This is a divine appointment here. And he went out of his way to encounter this woman who was in, in great need. The woman was surprised that Jesus spoke to her, of course. Samaritans and Jews didn't have much to do with each other. In verse 10, Jesus is talking about if you only knew who you were talking to. She still isn't getting it. And then verse 16 through 18, Jesus is saying, go get your husband. And she's like, I don't have one. And he's like, you're right. And all this. And Jesus is, is Jesus trying to shame her? No, I don't believe so. But... He is trying to expose a need. He's not trying to shame the woman. He's not trying to shame her at all. He's trying to expose a need, a great need here. And it's, it, it, it has to happen. A deep, undeniable, nagging need, not just for physical water. See, Jesus wasn't calling her out. She was already a social outcast. Listen, she was already an outcast. She was lonely. Look. Just by very fact that she was in the noon time, going, coming to this well at noon, shows you, and alone shows you her social standing. She didn't need calling out. She already was pretty low, right? But Jesus wasn't calling her out. But he was exposing a great need to someone who was vulnerable and understood, would understand their need for it. Are you vulnerable this morning? Would you be in a place where Jesus tried to expose a need that you had, a need for him? Would you be humble and, and vulnerable enough to say you're right? It's just a question I'm asking this morning. 
Then he gets into how we worship, and he talks about Mount Gerizim and then Jerusalem and all this stuff. And then he says, look, don't divert the attention from what's important here. It's not about how you worship. It's about who you worship. He's getting to the point. He said, it's not about religious tradition. It's about the one you worship. It's about worshiping in what? Spirit and in truth. What's Jesus getting at here? He, he's, he's saying that, that all things, like, like where someone chooses to worship, all these things, that, they don't, they're not important anymore. With the coming of Jesus, there came, uh, became a new way to God, a new way of doing things, right? Religious activity was no longer going to do it, right? And we still wrestle with this today. We still wrestle with how much religious activity is enough to get me into heaven. How good do I need to be to get there? The, the, the fact of the matter is you can't be good enough. You can't do enough. You can't go on enough mission trips, students. You can't work enough vacation Bible schools. You can't. We can't. Living water runs deeper than that. The who we should worship, obviously, is Jesus. How? In spirit and in truth. And spirit and truth simply means from the heart. From the heart. And totally founded on the person of Jesus. That's what in spirit and truth means. When you worship Jesus in spirit and truth, it means from the heart, from down deep, not on the surface, from down deep, and totally founded on one person, on Jesus himself. If our worship is founded on anyone or anything else, then it is false. It is not spirit and truth. In verse 25, the woman replies to all of this that Jesus said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Man, she's still not getting it. And you and I are going, woman, wake up. But we are that woman. You know, we, we're, we have the, the, the gift of hindsight to look and to know who she's talking to. Would you know if Jesus walked up to you at any moment in the flesh and, and started speaking to you? Would you know it was him? Probably not. Probably not. Don't be hyper-spiritual and say you would. I'm not. I wouldn't know. I don't know that I would know. I, I hope that God would open my heart and my mind to know that this is Jesus I'm speaking with and I'm in the presence of, of God. Man, I can't. Sometimes I have a hard time on Sunday morning. Understanding and knowing that God is here and God is present right this second with all of us. Jesus is in the room and we still have a hard time acknowledging Jesus, even in worship. Man. So lest we pass judgment on this woman, man, she's not getting it. And of course, Jesus replies in verse 26, I am that Messiah. I am that Messiah. Humanity's biggest problem to me is the drought of the soul. The drought of the soul, Right? There's a great need in, a, in all of us. And the, the physical need for water to drink, to be hydrated, is just a, uh, another way that God communicates the gospel, the great need we have for Jesus Christ, the living water. See, when she understood that she had a true encounter with, with Jesus, something 
happens to her. We'll, we'll, we'll see that in a second. But you know, in my own life, I am constantly trying to quench my thirst under my own terms. I'm constantly trying and attempting to quench the thirst that I have under my own terms. See, Jesus reveals things, whether it's sin, whether it's shame, whether it's things that we uh, place more importance on than him, idols. He reveals that stuff to us in order to expose a thirst we didn't know we had. This is the whole point of the story. Jesus is not shaming this woman. Obviously, we don't know her background. You know, we always assume that uh, she had five failed marriages. What if a couple of those husbands died? What if something, ha- what if, what if something happened beyond her control? We don't know. We, read, we try to read into that text, and we go, oh, man, this woman is terrible. I've done it. Might not always be the case. She, she is one thing for sure. This is what we know. She's vulnerable, and she's desperate. She's vulnerable, and she is desperate. That's all we know. We don't need to read anything else into that scripture. So Jesus is trying to reveal himself, and he's revealing things about her. And this morning, he wants to reveal things about us. Sin, struggles, to expose a thirst that we don't even know that we have. See, our longing for things physically and emotionally is a direct indicator of our longing for Jesus. Everything we do in this life is because of the thirst we have for living water. Every motive in life, everything that we try to do, do we attempt to do? Better job. All-American family. Right? Best job, best school, best life experiences, best vacations. Societal uh, uh, influence and, and clout. All those positions that we fight for and all those things that we fight for in this life. Everything we desire is because of the thirst we have for living water. Everything. Everything we do is because of the underlying issue of the deep drought of the soul. Everything we do. And if we can impress that on our own hearts and we allow God to speak to us this morning and understand our great need for him this morning, things will change. You will be moved from the place that you're at to another place. You will not be able to stay where you are. You won't be able to sit comfortably and leave here and go, man, my thirst is for Jesus and Jesus alone. You won't be able to do it. It's going to take some humility and some desperation on your part. The problem is, is that we are comfortable where we're at. This woman had been moved from a place of comfort to a place of desperation. And, 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 and if I could, could, could advise you in one thing, allow God to move you out, out of some comfort. Allow God to move you into a place of desperation into a place that you under, that where we understand our great need, right? Because everything we do is because of the great thirst, the soul thirst that we have for Jesus. Everything, good and bad. Our best intentions, 
to go and do something good for someone else, even if it's not founded on the gospel, man, it's, it's still, it just becomes community service. It becomes community service hours. If it's not founded on the love of Jesus Christ that he has for humanity, if the gospel's not being preached, right? Dude, here's the rest of the story. When Jesus finally gives us living water, it's not just for us. It spills out and overflows like a, like a fountain, as Jesus would say, onto everyone else and everything else around us. Here's the rest of the story. In verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, This man told me everything I did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay there at the village. So he stayed two more days. Man, I would love to see what happened in those two days that he stayed in that village. We don't know. I just imagine heaven got a little bit more full that day, those two days, right? See, when Jesus offers living water and we accept it where we are, look, you might be a Christian in here and you might have, have, have gotten saved a long time ago and given your heart to Jesus a long time ago. But the thirst remains. The thirst remains. Every single day of our lives, the thirst remains. So what well are we drawing from this morning? Are we drawing from young people? Are we drawing from the well of popularity? Are we drawing from the well of um, social media validation? Are we drawing from the well of comparison? Are we drawing from the well of living my best life? Now, are we drawing from the well of our families? Look, they're all good things. We've, we've said this before. It's possible to worship our families above the God who gave us our family. It's possible. Parents, we do it all the time. Parents, we worship our kids above the God who gave us our kids. We do it all the time. Can't do that. We have a deep soul thirst. And the only one who can quench thirst is Jesus. That's it. In fact, Jesus didn't just give living water. Look, listen. He is living water. Jesus didn't just give this woman living water. He gave her himself. And here's the, here's the, the thing that, that will separate Jesus and our worship of, of Jesus Christ and every other religion or faith on the planet and the universe is that God is a God who doesn't just give good gifts. He gives the greatest gift, which is himself. Look, the, the, the drought of the soul can be quenched for every single person in the room this morning. What it's going to take is an admission of who Jesus is and of who you are not and who I am not. That's what it's going to take. This morning, it's, it's a morning to reset things. We can reset this morning. See, our biggest problem in, in, uh, in all of humanity is the drought of the soul. The soul thirst never lets up, and we're always attempting to quench it. David realized this when he wrote in Psalm 63. He says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. He says, My soul thirsts. For you, my whole body longs 
for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. This morning, I want to ask the question, what well do you find yourself drawing from this morning? If you find yourself drawing from the well of good intentions, if you find yourself drawing from the well of comparison, if you find yourself drawing from the well of social media validation, if you find yourself drawing from the well of the security of my job or my family, it is a well, look at me, that will run dry. The well of good behavior will run dry. The well of good deeds will run dry. The well of just showing up in worship on Sunday morning and sitting there going, that's a nice sermon, and running out and going, I just forgot what I heard. That well will run dry. Jesus is living water. See, so many times what I do is I focus on the gift instead of the giver. We say this a lot. Uh, Stir and, and, and portal students hear me say it a lot. I worship the gift and not the giver so often in my life. I want the water that Jesus may give, but I don't want Jesus himself. Many times in my life, I find myself there. And if we're honest, we find ourselves there and we would acknowledge that. Jesus said in, in verse 13 again, he says, anyone who drinks the water this water, this well, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give him will never be thirsty again. You will be satisfied, is what he's saying. It becomes a fresh and bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And then the, the outflow of that is that it becomes a, a, a bubbling spring for everyone else around you. That's how Jesus changes. That's how the gospel changes the world. This is it right here. This is it. Jesus is exposing a need we didn't know we had so that he can take, he can be, come in and, and take the place of all that other stuff that we've been drawing from as our own well, right? Physical water, it's so, it's so amazing to, to see how physical water can be, can preach the gospel. A couple application points, number, number one this morning. We, you and I need to realize our great need for God this morning. Look, we're on varying levels of spiritual maturity in here. There's no doubt. We've got young to old. We've got new Christians. We've got 30-plus year Christians in here. We've got pre-Christians. We've got people who, who might not know Jesus yet in here. But I want you to know that all of us, no matter where we are, need to stop and realize our need for God, our great need for living water this morning. In, in every situation in your life, wherever you've, and, and all of us can stop and think, we have at least three or four or five that we're thinking of right now. God, I need you to pour out some living water into this situation in my life. I need you to be my living water. I've been relying on what people think so long. I care too much about what people think. I care too much about what's going on in the world around me and not you because if we focus on Jesus, then the problems we see around us will find their solution in him. The great drought that we see in our world, it's, a, it's, it's not hard to see. There is a soul drought universally. All you have to do is turn on the news. There's a soul drought everywhere for every human. But you and I have the solution. 
You and I have living water that will never, ever run dry. And so, and so for us to walk out of here and let that spring up and well up in us and pour out all over everyone else that we come in contact with there is where true change, if you want to see change happen in our world, that's where it's going to happen. And if you think that is overly simplistic, you have not been listening to this passage. Jesus didn't say, if you go and do these things in my name, then everything's going to be good. He said, no, don't worry about that stuff. That stuff no longer matters. All that matters is me. All that matters. It doesn't matter where you worship. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter what denomination. It does not matter what school you get into. It doesn't matter what occupation you hold. All that matters now is me. Great shift in thinking. Never been said before in all the universe. And this woman had the privilege of being one of the first ones to hear it. And then she responded by leaving her bucket where she, where she brought it. Now look, this is no small thing. She left her source of life, physical life, at the well. She's going to need that bucket if she wants to live physically. She's going to need to come back and get it. I wonder if she did. I wonder if she came back and got that bucket. She left the bucket there. She was so convinced that she had found a source of life that she left the, the physical source of, source of life behind. And here we are this morning. We've got a bucket to leave behind. You and I have a bucket to lay down at an altar this morning and say, I've been drawn from this well way too dang long. It is time for Jesus to be living water to you. It is time for Jesus not to be a part of your life, but to be your life. It is time for we, us to stop giving shouts out to God every time something good happens to us or something bad, blaming God. It is time for Jesus to be everything, for us to cling to him like an infant clings to his mother. Source of life, living water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so thankful for the gospel presented through the mode, the physical need for water. God, we're so thankful that in your grace, you saw fit to come and provide living water through your son, Jesus. And Jesus, so often we're so guilty of drawing from this well or that well and forgetting about you completely. Understanding that our need is not for just for the things that you give, but it's for you. And this woman was broken. She was cast out, cast down, depressed, vulnerable, desperate. And I'm sure that she was incredibly struck by the fact that, Jesus, you did not condemn her where she stood. But what you did instead was you exposed a need. Because of your great love for us, that's what you do. You expose a need that we've been trying to cover up with all kinds of stuff. And so that's what you want to do this morning. God, as we come to a, a response time, pray that 
your spirit would move, God, that we would find a, that we are sitting in the seat we're sitting, we're sitting in an altar, God, that we can confess sin, we can repent of sin, we can, we can repent of those things that we've put in your place in our lives. We can lay that bucket down, the bucket of approval, the bucket of status, the bucket of our jobs, our families, all great things given as gifts from you, but none can compare to you. Father, we lay these things down and we want to, we, we ask that you would pour all over us and into us fresh living water. Cleanse us of our sin. Cleanse us of all the things that we put in your place, all those idols, all those wells that we've been drawing from our whole life. And maybe this morning you've, you've uncovered a great need that we never knew we had. as we enter into to a time of worship and response. Father, have your way. It's in your name we pray. Amen.